Off the Bench is a podcast created by ASCLS that will discuss the scientific and not so scientific ideas in laboratory medicine. We are joined by members of ASCLS, fellow scientists, educators, and researchers, along with those interested in the profession. We share ideas and talk nerdy. Hello and welcome back to the Off the Bench podcast, everyone. My name is Galena. I am here with our co-hosts, Sophia and Justin. And here we're going to talk about um, interviewing. It is a conversation that casually came up about the difference between what it's like for us to interview now versus back when we first started, just fresh out of school. And the takeaways that we got from that were interesting enough and thoughtful enough that we thought that we would have this discussion on a podcast. Um, so say hi, everyone. Hi, hi. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I was waiting for you. Then you just kind of jumped in yeah, at the same I w- time. I wasn't sure. I was actually waiting for you, too. So okay. that worked out nicely. <laughs> Um, so as we get started, uh, the very first question uh, that I think we should talk about is um, where are we currently in our careers in terms of how many jobs have we had since we graduated from med tech school? Um, and so therefore, how many interviews? Does that translate to how many interviews you've gone to? Um, starting with Justin. All right. So I'm in a position where I have moved out of the laboratory and into the industry side of things, working in field applications or field services. So I have since changed companies. Uh, Earlier this year, I moved into a team with Zoo Scientific. So I was most recently interviewing. And what I hope to offer in this conversation is some insight to those that are interested in transitioning out from the laboratory, off the bench and into the field. Also, for those that may be in the field and considering moving from one position to the next and some of the things that I learned when moving companies in different cultures. So how many how many jobs would you say you've had total transitions since you graduated? This would be my sixth position. Sixth position in as how many years? About 10. So I started as a, I was hired right out as a student where I did my microbiology and blood bank rotations. I was there for a part-time position. When an opportunity came for full-time and including blood bank, that's where I went to and needed benefits, needed some stability in the hours, that sort of thing. Then I was there for about a year and my advisor during my undergraduate brought up the an opportunity at Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York to work in hematology. I was not looking for a position. I went on the interview, really a lot of it being curiosity of this has got to be just a really cool position. I moved into that. I, it was an opportunity that I really wanted to take. So I was there for about three years. And after some time, I started looking into industry professionals, saw the engineers, the sales reps, the application specialists that came in, thought that that would be a really awesome track. And then I moved into field applications. I've moved across country. I changed my job and I was working remotely and traveling out to laboratories. Instead of going to the same one every day, I was going state boundaries. And since then, I've changed and moved around a little bit. And uh, it's been an interesting transition to change jobs right before COVID hit. Yep. So one of the things um, I wanted to mention is uh, this podcast, we're going to divide into two parts. The first one today, we're going to talk about um, all the pre-work that's going to go into preparing for an interview. How are you choosing your job? How are you presenting yourselves? Um, 
and that hence you get to know a little bit more about our background um, and where we're coming from. So Sophia, what about you? How many jobs have you had? What are you at? So I guess technically I've had three jobs, but they're all within the same, actually exact same lab. Um, and they've all been slightly upward movements. And so it's three jobs within four years of graduating. I don't sit still very well. Um, and that's so like I started off working at UNC um, Core Lab as a part time employee as a student. So I was a student employee for a year. Then I graduated. Then was a full time on evening shift. And then I went to day shift full time. And then during day shift full time, I interviewed for a chemistry lead position and then did not get that. Then I interviewed for a uh, gas chromatography lead position and then I got that. And then a weekend day shift supervisor came up position came up and then I interviewed for that. And then I got that. So, so you're a supervisor right now? Weekends only, but yes. Hey, that's great. <laughs> nice. Um, I am sort of like Justin. I spend a lot of uh, the beginning of my career in the med tech world. So I was a med tech in a high complexity uh, laboratory, uh, clinic laboratory. And then out of that, I moved into a hospital setting just because I uh, didn't want to lose my competency in blood bank and micro or even basic micro. And then out of that, I got into IT, the IT side of things. And so now I work with um, LIS and helping uh, companies uh, get up and running with their new LIS systems. So I kind of transitioned a little bit away from direct lab work and into more helping labs. So. I think I'm at, I would say total four, four different jobs in six years, but three of them were within the same company or most all of them up till now have been into, in the same company. So I'm very similar to, to you, Sophia, in that um, I found a good place to work and I kind of worked my way through that. When you guys first got out of school and you were interviewing for your jobs or even looking at jobs to apply for... What what was your criteria? Were you just applying for any job that came your way? Were you just, you know, I thought, Justin, you said you were lucky you got hired out of your rotation, though, right? But looking for jobs, were you just like taking anything you can get? Or did you already have an idea in mind of um, where you wanted to work? I wanted to work at the place that I was doing my rotation. That was my number one. And when there was an opening to be a generalist for evening and night, hematology and chemistry, I went for that. My intention was I really wanted full-time. I wanted a stable hours and benefits and everything else that I needed to get myself started. My thought was, I want to be here. So I will do this and I can pick up the extra hours and when something arrives, then I'll move into that. So that's how, I, when I was looking for my first position, I was very set on where that I wanted to be where I was. But you, Sophia? I guess you can say I wanted to work where I did my rotations. I did I did most of my rotations at UNC, but there was a while when I actually wanted to do them at Duke. But I ended up choosing where I was working as a student employee because I really liked the opportunity to flex and learn more benches than just being, in my opinion, being just stuck in a micro world and just kind of specializing into a micro world. So I wanted that flexibility to explore some more. Did you guys, when you were close to graduating your med tech school, did you ever hear the advice of, um, 
you know, the, as a beginner, more than likely you're going to have to take the night shift. You're going to have to work the off hours, many weekends, and you, you just take what you can get because as a newcomer, that's where you start. Did you guys ever hear that? Cause I feel like I heard that a lot. <laughs> I think, I think for me, it's actually kind of the opposite. So our, at UNC, our midnight shift people have people who have been there for years. Like they are the most stable mm-hmm. group because if you want to work those hours, you really want to, gotta have to, like, you know, you have to want to work those hours and your whole life shifts around those hours, working from like 1130 to, to 7 a.m. Because as a student, we had to work that for weekend rotations. Like on weekends, we had to do every other weekend on midnight shift. So we'd like get out of class at 10 a.m., take melatonin, force ourselves to sleep, <laughs> wake up at 1130 at night and go into work. So it's like you have to want that lifestyle. And for my place and from what I've from actually what I've heard is actually the evening shift hours are usually the worst that 3 30 to midnight position because see that's what I've heard and that actually, that. <laughs> that's actually true for us because at least for us a lot maybe it's like a southeast North Carolina kind of thing but that's usually when everything happens is during those hours is 3 30 to midnight after that nothing really happens and then you don't get to have dinner with your friends you don't really go to the movies with people um the mall I, I enjoyed going to the mall when I was on evening shift because I would go during the day. There was no one there, but you don't really get to hang out with people and there's not many people working those hours. So it's it's a high turnover kind of rate. I feel I felt like on evening shift when I was on evening shift, it was the oldest person there, like the person who'd been there longest, aside from this one lady who's been there for like 32 years, everyone had been there for like no more than like six years before they left. Justin, do you think, um, as somebody who's coming straight out of school, should they settle for what they can get in a shift or is there some flex room to kind of search and find and be a little pickier? I found when I was moving out of school that what the... One of the first things that was told to me when I was coming out of school was that microbiology tended to be the hardest department to get into because they seem to be the most stable and people don't leave. Yeah. like it in microbiology. <laughs> That's what I had gotten. Now, as far as evening and night shift, it tends to be that those are where their positions are open. I found that this wasn't a huge detriment to me coming out of school because if I was a student getting night shift, then much of my friends from school are also night shift, which means we have the same working hours. <laughs> and we all live in the New York area, so we were having a lot of fun at the nights because that was just, you know, those are our weekends. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, you find those places where you can go get a beer and something to eat at six in the morning because it's your 6 p.m. and you meet with your friends after work. So it was just a matter of changing the a.m. p.m. for me. But I did find that, yes. Evening and night shifts tend to be a little bit more open, and there is value in taking the shifts and getting started there, mm-hmm. especially working with a smaller team and learning to rely on your resources and having the advantage of moving into generalist positions where you get a hands-on to everything in the more holistic area of the laboratory diagnostics. So I didn't move into a day shift until much later. Just to jump in, I was going to say for sure, because that's actually something I recommend for all students that they're starting out. I tell there, if I tell my students who want to work at UNC, I said, I usually tell them that there's going to be a position open on evening shift, 
take it because you will learn fast on whether or not the pace is for you. You're going to learn how to rely on yourself. You're going to learn to know those uh, SOPs inside and out because you're going to be able to pull up that information real fast and fix those problems on your own. And you're going to learn so much faster than you would with 15 other people in the exact same area as you who may call a specialist because you're too busy to be able to actually have time to troubleshoot something. Yeah. I think that uh, for me starting out, um, it wasn't so much a concern what shift I worked. I wasn't really picky about that. I was a little pickier about where I worked. So my first bachelor's degree was in microbiology. So when I started med tech school, I was dead set already when I first class, I'm just going to work in a microbiology lab, right? Set in stone. Towards the end of my degree, when it was time to do clinical rotations, I fell in love with blood bank. I just want to be a blood banker. I don't want to touch anything else. But then by the time your clinical rotations come around and you actually experience the real lab, I ended up being a generalist, kind of to your point, Sophia, as starting out, it was really valuable for me to do as much as possible so I can really get a comprehensive idea of how an actual lab runs, because there's only so much that school can teach you, and then the rest has to happen on the job. So that was really important to me. I have a question, since you mentioned getting prepared with school. Did you ever go through any sort of interview training as part of professionalism in your program? Yeah, so that's actually, it was one of our classes that uh, was an online class done uh, during your clinical rotation. So that was actually, I believe, one of the only ones that we had to do during clinical rotations. Um, I went to the U of M um, and very lucky to have that program because we had a number of courses that helped you with interprofessional relationships as well, which I think is, you know, we don't get taught enough of how to properly interact with, you know, nursing staff, occupational therapy, physical therapy. But Uh, The last class was also about interviewing and it was resume writing. So I remember, I remember one of our assignments was that you had to write and submit your resume. And I remember getting it back and my instructor ripped it to shreds and I wanted to cry, but it was the most valuable thing and valuable conversation I could have ever had. um, Because I think that, that, we're kind of set in our ways. Once we graduate, we maybe think that I got this. I have the knowledge. I passed my boards. I, you know, I don't need help. Like my resume will speak for itself. And to have somebody come in and say, you got it all wrong. Um, it's very humbling. And that input is incredibly valuable. So I would say that if there's not a class that you should at least have somebody, um, in the field that can do that for you. No, they didn't. I, I'm really glad to hear, Galita, that you had that in your program. I know that I did when I was at Rutgers. It's an aspect of professionalism. Dr. Catherine Otto, past president of ASCLS, really talks about this a lot in professionalism, that these kinds of things really should be integrated into an education course or in our education program for clinical labs. So if you are an educator and thinking about what you know, how to improve your program or what to do the best by your students, consider these aspects of interpersonal skills and interviewing skills. Galena, something that you mentioned that was brought to me and sent my head spinning by one of my educators was very much, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So that whole mention of the resume speaking for itself and the credentials, that's all wonderful. And as scientists, I know that that's what we look for, but that doesn't always translate over to the person who's picking up your resume. It is who you know and the connections. And one of the things that's really important for me that I learned through my most recent interview process is really taking the time to research who 
I'm interviewing and the who is the company, the people, the management, and really getting a sense of the culture and what they're about. And do I fit with this? And I think, I think we're lucky, all the three of us are, uh, that we got a job from the place that we did our clinical rotations because we had an ability to not only build rapport, make those connections, but really make an educated assessment of, hey, does this company fit our needs and what our uh, mission and vision and values are? Um, will we fit in? And so in that sense, it's, it's a two-way street, really. This has come up a lot in most recently when looking at generational differences in the workplace, because millennials tend to be so drastically different from every other generation that we work with in the workplace. And in the laboratory, we now have sometimes four or even five generations working among each other that all have different values, that have different goals, that have different things that they look for that bring them satisfaction of a job. And the idea of does this person fit with the team is kind of new. This is a newer idea when we start talking about emotional intelligence as an important aspect about being on a team. I mean, to me, it makes sense. And I consider myself to be an OG millennial. Like I'm (laughs) one of the early waves that came in like late 80s um, when electronic music was becoming a thing. So (laughs) for me, the idea of do I fit with the team and it just seems to make sense. If I'm going to, if I'm going to spend 40 hours of my life with my coworkers, I'd like to like them and I'd like to have good communication with them. For sure. I mean, I think that's actually one thing that really drove my decision to apply for my, my current, where I'm currently working right now, instead of working at Duke. I mean, I meshed well with them, but some of the rapport wasn't fully there. I wanted I talk about video games a lot. I talk really nerdy a lot and I needed I need people who can also mesh with that. It also helped that I knew a couple people who were working there already from even as a student employee, but even through my rotations, I knew that there were other gamers there. I knew there was a lot of uh, other uh, UNC graduates who would have a similar experience with me and I could relate to them. We could relate to each other. And one of my good friends, best friends, she was also applying there. So it all that really helped my decision in choosing that location on top of UNC, what they stand for, their mission of providing health care for the entire state and doing as much good as possible. But really, if it wasn't for, if it was more people that I could not get along with or could not mesh very well with, I don't think I would have chosen to have reapplied for positions within that one laboratory over and over and over again. Sophia, I know you and I have talked a bit about being out as a gamer, uh, because that is one of those things where I'm like, do I tell people this? Like, it, you know, what do you like to do? I'm like, uh, do I want to? Uh, but I know that we have talked about this and how now we do and because we want to find our people in this sense. And I think that's another aspect of interviewing that has changed for me in the last year or so, as far as being out as queer as well. And so looking at the last time that I went through an interview, I wanted to if I'm going to take a position, I want to know that I can feel safe there and that I'm accepted for all of who I am. Again, going the back to this, not what you know, it's who you know. I want to be known for all of who I am. And it's important for me to know that it's okay for me to be, or not even just that it's okay, that that's going to be celebrated and welcomed. So the last time that I was on interview, I let myself to dress a bit differently to allow myself to wear the makeup that I want to and have my nails done. And this is how I'm presenting. And my thought is, this is all of me. This is my entirety. And if you would like 
I'd like to be on your team. Well, so I guess to me, what you're saying is when we're comparing then and now for how we interviewed out of school to versus we are now is very different because when I interviewed out of school, I was a lot more um, rigid. I tried to present a prim and proper idea of who I am. And in such a way, what happens is 95% of the interview is my employer interviewing me and maybe 5% is me interviewing them. Now, on the other hand, because I've self-actualized as who I am, I know what I can bring to the company. I know what my needs are. Um, truly, this last interview process that I went to, um, went through about a month ago, I would say it was really 50-50, if not more, of me just sitting there and drilling them of, here are all my questions, um, here are all my concerns, um, how how do you make me fit into your team, what are your values, um, and, and so, I mean, that sounds like something that's happened to you too, Justin, of, I mean, was that the case were you this open about yourself when you first interviewed out of school? I'm laughing because you mentioned uh, being very rigid in early interviews. And it just made me think of the very first time I'm sitting with HR for that position where I was already a student intern. They already liked me. And she hands me back my resume to say, lighten up. <laughs> I had the idea. Because I go into it thinking this is what they're going to want. They want, you know, and we want to put our best foot forward because when we when we don't have much to show for ourselves on paper, we're doing everything we can to think about mm -hmm. what do they want or like I need to appease to this idea. Yeah. And over time, since part of where I'm at now, having some time to self-actualize, as you mentioned, to think about who I am, what I bring to the table, and having some skills and knowledge brought in, now I don't take my interviews as seriously. And I don't mean that to say that I'm throwing them away rather than the attitude has changed where if I'm not picked for a position, it's because not necessarily a fit and that's okay. So when I go into an interview now, I present in the way that I see myself and what I bring to the table in all forms. And so that means both my resume, that means what I'm about, what I want to do, where I'm at now, where I want to be in five years. And things of like that self-expression both of whether it be that I'm a gamer, that I'm queer, that I'm pursuing a student still, all of these things play into what is going to be me as a contributor to this team. And so I think that it's important that all of these aspects get brought up during the interview. And if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, that's fine. Then I just wasn't the, a particular fit. It's okay. I'm moving on. I think it's a really hard thing to do when you're starting out. I feel like uh, rejection is a lot, a lot closer to your heart when you're first graduated because you're trying so hard to get a job than it is now, right? Especially when you're transitioning. You well, you already have a job, so your losses aren't that bad um, versus when you're starting out. One other question that I have is. When we all, we both, all of us got our first jobs, um, with our clinical rotations. However, in the process, did you apply and interview at any other facility or did you just go straight there? I, I personally, <clears throat> I personally only interviewed at my clinical rotations. I actually, I feel very privileged to say this. I, I will say I cannot fully relate with the rejection when you're starting because I only applied to one place and I got you it. Got it. <laughs> but that's also because I had worked there as a student employee. And I will say when I did my student employee rotation uh, interview, 
that one was nerve wracking. I'm pretty sure I had pancake face because I had no idea what I was doing my makeup. And I was like, I'm sure that's what they want, right? And when they interviewed me and asked me what bench I wanted, I said, oh, I like your analysis. P is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That was a mistake. I don't think your, I mean, your analysis is important, but I kind of hate it, but I'll do it. But it's not as interesting as I try to sell it as in my interview. You can learn a lot from people's urine. Really? You can. You really can. There's a story in there. It's, which is why I was, I was telling, I was like, you know, you can learn so much, but then, but then when I did my, when I did my training and actually worked on that bench, I was like, this is that I'm never, never saying that again. So that's one way to make yourself interesting at your interview. Say something very strange, but somewhat relevant because you can twist it and make it more for you. But at the same time, don't say your analysis is the most interesting bench there is because you may come to regret it. I think that's a really good point on adding something fun or flavorful into your resume. Uh, Something that makes you stand out and maybe that you love your analysis isn't the best idea. Um, (laughs) I was thinking more along the lines of if you've ever won a pair of airplane throwing contest or like a pizza eating contest, add that because maybe it doesn't have anything to do with work. But if you're interviewing against a number of other candidates, at least you can be known as the pizza eating person. (laughs) <laughs> and you'll stick out and it's one of the, it kind of goes back to that do you fit with a team is this going to click or you know um that sort of interaction with your co-workers well if everybody in the lab likes to eat pizza then you might fit right in exactly exactly well so and that's, well, a, that's a justin a very good thing to address as well because how did you guys go about preparing for your interviews um are you writing a rigid outline are you you know trying to just kind of play by ear and hope for the best what do you guys do so i had my husband then boyfriend grill me for three days in a row of just interview questions he found online for both like just general interview questions, some more specific interview questions, like tell me about a time where you showed leadership. Tell me about a time where you had a bad conversation and how did you deal with it? Tell me about a time. And he would just like, we would be doing like cooking and he'd be like, all right, here's a question. I was like, okay, let's go. Like, because I get very nervous and I have to practice. Otherwise I'm full palm sweaty, rambling for days and you'll never hear the end of the story sort of person. So I, I, that's how I prepared. I had stories prepared. I had different variations of the story based off of how the person was going to react. For example, I have a humans versus zombies story that I tell because I was a major humans versus zombies nerd as I felt like I was when during college. And that is a giant nerf, a week long nerf game tagged with nerf blasters and we play that every semester. And that's what I walked in with my interview with. Not as a student employee, but an actual employee. So it's like my second interview. I felt more comfortable in telling and admitting that I was that much of a nerd. Because the question was like, um, show us a time you, uh, like, tell us about a time you had leadership skills. So that was my, I had leadership skills. I planned a 300 person game or I helped plan a 200 person game. And then ba- I had it almost like treed, map treed out so that based off their reaction, they looked very bored. I'd quickly switch into, okay, here are the different planning uh, techniques that I used. Or as if they were more interested, I may like throw in a funny story about uh, one of the zombies chasing down a human for like 15 minutes and like go back to planning techniques and just all of my stories were map treed in a way 
so that I could alter it for the person based off their reactions mm-hmm. because I was so nervous that I was going to just flub it. What I like about that story and the way that you shift depending on your audience and how they react is even though it may not be laboratory related, it shows a bit about you and your creative aspect, the skills or what you like to do and what you bring to the table so that if I'm on the other side of this, I'm thinking we could use that kind of planning and uh, structured organization to our team. So there's things that you can pull out of that story of aspects about Sophia and what that might turn into. <laughs> so I'm actually the opposite of that. I, uh, when I, it be, between my clinical rotation and when I got my first job was about two and a half really nerve wracking months of me not getting a job. And I interviewed a lot of places. And when I started out, I kind of had a very similar um, outline where I would have a lot of answers. I was ready for anything that happened. But I found that memorizing all of them actually just made me more nervous because in an interview, I wasn't actually actively listening for a conversation. I was just looking for trigger words of like, okay, now query this idea or query this paragraph that I wrote and recited over and over again. So now forward to the job that I got first out of school, that job, I already had another job in Oregon. So across the country that I really wanted to work at. They were flying me out there. I had a three day amazing interview process and that that's where I put all my eggs in that basket. So the interview that I had here in Minnesota that I um, uh, went to, it's not that I didn't care. It's that I was already prepared to not be here. This just happened to come up. Okay. So when I walked into that interview, I just winged it completely. And the stories that I told and the relaxed demeanor that I had, um, it felt so different and so right. And that's the first job offer that I ever had. So I think, I think that um, everyone prepares very differently. Um, and they have different success. And I feel like the only way you really know that is by persevering through a number of interviews and figuring out not only who you are, what do you want from a company and how, how does that interview then go? Galena, what I loved about your story there is the discussion about when mentioning querying paragraphs or trigger words, this idea of a vocabulary that we want to bring up to either show competency or that we know mm-hmm. something. When this was really something I started learning as I was moving off the bench and into the field or moving around within the industry aspect of things, that there's a new vocabulary, there's a new language. And as I started doing more and more interviews and finding what it is that I wanted and what I liked about a position or what I didn't like, I was able to start formulating new words and have conversations that didn't feel so rigid, that uh, 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 recall, recall word and try to be on their level. Like, And one of the ways that I started doing this in my preparation was creating how and what questions, open-ended questions that I wanted to ask. And some of those might look like, what are the metrics for success in this position? What is the philosophy of this role? These kind of open-ended questions allow for the potential, the interviewer to explain some bits of things and taking that in and hearing multiple perspectives. If you're interviewing for the same job in different places, now you have a more comprehensive idea of what that position is. And this really helps if you're trying to move off the bench and into something else. So having that language and what's meaningful to the person on the other end for that position is really valuable. So I would encourage having 
putting together how and what questions. And then think about the answer of what you would want for yourself. Spend some time rehearsing with colleagues and practice the language and the things that you want to say. Practice is key. Practice, well, practice to a degree is key. As long as you feel relaxed. Don't, mm. I think my personal biggest advice to anybody going to a first time interview is breathe. It'll be fine. <laughs> They're people. It'll be fine. Trust us. Trust us. And Trust your podcast trio. Trust us. Smile. Smile. Yeah. Smile a lot. Especially if you're on the phone. Way. Especially if you're on the phone. Remember, a smile translates through the phone. Ooh, that's very true. Especially, yeah, because your first interview is usually with the HR and they'll call and screen, yeah. Yeah, and then you go into in person. What's uh what's the it's most different now with COVID? No, it on is the phone. Mm-hmm. Like at least have you ever done screen. Videos? Have you done any video interviews? Mm-hmm. I've I've video bombed of an interview. <laughs> oh, and they'll give them a tour on somebody's like someone's phone, and they're like, "All right, and this is this area. This is this area." And if I'll see, I'll just go like, "Whoa!" Jump through just to try to make it a bit more fun because mm-hmm. I figured if if interviewers are trying to make themselves memorable by doing something fun, then we can also show. If they're also showing the lab, the lab can also show its personality to see if that interviewer wants to be here or the interviewee wants to be here because we are a fun group. So you should come and join us. <laughs> there is a question out there of what's more nerve wracking, a promising interview or a really important date? And I have a hard time answering this question because in my mind, both of them are important relationships. Their relationships, regardless, they're just the dynamic may be different or what we want from each other. And so that's it's also helped me in when coming into negotiating pay. And I don't want to get into that for part one. I think we should save that for the next part. But I think as we're going into it and thinking about it, approaching a job interview as looking at it as this is a relationship is really key. And especially as we go back into that idea of how do I fit? Am I a fit? And will we work together? Will we work well together? I think, uh, Justin, that really reminds me of in that two and a half months that I was interviewing for new positions, um, I went into an interview at a special heme lab. And in that interview, I was so excited because they asked, like, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, I want to know everything. I want to be part of the team. I want to understand how all the labs work together, every department. And that that was my first shut down. I got a no on the interview, but she said, the reason you didn't get this job is because you will not like it here because you are going to get bored. It is very isolated. Um, you are not going to see the diversity and the, um, interdepartment, um, kind of, uh, relationships that you want to see and grow from. Um, and so that kind of, um, I think ties into all the things that we talked about so far. A, it's a relationship. And so I should trust you to be honest as much as you trust me to be honest. So that was honesty in that interview number one. You know, we talk about, um, you know, researching each other. Um, and, you know, that all comes into play in an interview. Often that is your only opportunity to try to gauge whether or not that's going to be a good long-term relationship or not. So that's a great point. With that, what else did we cover today so far? Well, it looks like we've covered some basic interview prep ideas and some tips. 
we've talked about how important it is to persevere through those first several interviews and really just keep going because you never know what's out there. You never know what kind of opportunity you're going to get. We've also talked about how much you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you because you want to make sure that you've done your homework to make sure this is a good place for you and they're doing their homework to make sure you're good for them, but really making sure that you fit right. And also learning what it is that you want in your job. Do you want something that's all over the place and you learn everything? Maybe you shouldn't be applying for a special heme position sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think those are some pretty good takeaways for for this part one podcast. What do you guys think? I'm good here. The only way to know what relationship you want to be in is to uh, experience a wide diversity of jobs. Um, and I know that might be hard, especially coming out of school, because options might be limited. You might not have your dream job to begin with, um, but you got to start somewhere. <laughs> All right. So let's wrap it up here and we'll try and catch you guys in the next episode where we talk about what happens when you're actually in the interview and you're going through <laughs> all the sweats because, oh my God, you're actually in the interview. What do you do now? Pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Under pressure coming down on me. All right. That was great. We're going to cut that out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We will. We will. Okay. Okay. Let me stop recording and see if Sophia's it not processes everything. Out. No, I'm not. It's, it's amazing. That's, but, okay, that's what <laughs> we'll just end with that. Okay. We'll just end with that. Fading <laughs> <laughs> to the music with that. <laughs> <laughs>